Right, I'm just going to wing it. Hello and welcome to Michael and Ivanka's Grand Podcast, a podcast where we... No, it didn't work. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm settling. I'm starting to settle in on... It's a podcast where we keep thinking about the big issues every week in a habitual way. We are having a big brainstorm about what the uh, opportunities are to improve things. And it's a therapy session and it's hopefully fun. My name is Michael Forrest. And I'm Ivanka Magic. And what are we talking about this week? Uh, this week we're talking about cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, all that. Ethereum, R chain, Dogecoin, you know, all sorts of. We are jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> we are. We are jumping on the bandwagon. Which Though you has... lost me. I was with you till Ethereum because I've heard that. And then after. And Dogecoin. And then the RC what? <laughs> Our chain. Our chain. We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, um, yeah, well, well, we're. I mean, it's not going to be a super. We're not going to get technical. I hope. No. Ivanka's hopefully going to stop me just kind of falling into a technical thing because, um, as it, we. I am a blockchain expert because I spent six months on a blockchain project, which probably makes me the leading expert in the entire world, according <laughs> to. A, Harry, no, I mean, I, I kind of get it to some extent, so I'm hoping that I can just kind of. Add to the huge pile of people attempting to demystify Bitcoin in the blockchain. But maybe, you know, maybe this will be the one that, that helps you get some insights into yeah. it that some other ones couldn't. Yeah, let's go. All right. Do you want to tell me about your week, Ivanka? How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I had a, I've had a good week. I went to London and saw you. Yeah, we had a, a Monday morning that we have to talk about the podcast, Michael. <laughs> Is it going to make us any money? Is it worth doing? <laughs> Not really. But uh, I, I kind of got a bit anxious about that and I feel like you kind of let me off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, we celebrated. We did. We celebrated our. We celebrated our commitment. The fact that we managed to keep it going. Yes. And we. I had a cake. <laughs> and then I, uh, we conveniently arranged to do this in a location that allowed me to go and meet a potential new client, which was is always interesting. Uh, but due mm. to my holiday schedule, <laughs> my travel schedule, I'm not the most. Uh, interesting prospect for a person with a project in London in a building. Mm. So uh, I did, though, have quite a good idea about how to pursue my user research coaching type thing. And I mm. chatted to a friend of mine. Well, I sent him an email going, hey, I've had this idea. And he's a user researcher that's much more experienced than me and trained me. Or he was my first sort of mentor user researcher. Yeah. And he liked my idea and gave me a couple of pointers and said that he's very happy to work with me on it to expand it. Because I think that it will good. suit me. So that was good. 
and I've continued my running, which I'm Excellent. incredibly pleased about. So is it like is it like a progressive like? Yes. Um, are you getting like stronger every time? Or I'm getting it's progressive. It's a lot more time running. So Wednesday morning, I went up to the downs, mm. which means from my house, quite a lot of running uphill to get there. <laughs> but then a very beautiful run around the race course in Brighton or along that bit, and then back back home. So, mm. so I was very pleased with that. How was your week, Michael? <laughs> Yeah, I've still been just like regrouping after this. This thing of kind of feeling like I've been told, let your freak flag fly kind of thing. Just like people are, stop rounding off your crazy edges and just let kind of some of that show because that's actually something that people are looking for. Got quite excited about an idea that we had sort of after the podcast last week. Maybe it's a good idea. I don't know. And now I'm like, you get this sort of like, oh, I'm so excited about this thing. And then like three or four days later, you're like, oh, but there are flaws in it. And oh, it'll probably fail. Oh, I'm um, <laughs> but yeah, I've just been kind of working through that. Also, I found out um, one of my heroes that I've met turns out to sympathise with Jordan Peterson, who I don't know much about, but is a kind of says all sorts of gross stuff. Uh, he talks about uh, social justice warriors and snowflakes and so, that sort of stuff. And he says things like the idea that women were oppressed throughout history is an appalling theory. Islamophobia is a word created by fascists and used by cowards to manipulate morons. White privilege is a Marxist lie. Uh, believing that gender identity is subjective is as bad as claiming that the world is flat. Um, so uh, he's... Uh, and then to see someone I like saying, I'm so gutted by the treatment The Guardian and some of the well-to-do media has given you this week. You have all my support and many thanks for your clarity and oh too rare courage to speak the truth. So someone I thought I liked turns out to be a racist. What? There's something about when somebody says something really nasty or basically not open-minded that it's the truth. It's like, you yeah, know, the yeah idea, you're just speaking the truth. Speaking My the intuitive truth. idea of the truth, you're saying that. I remember this documentary. I watched this docu- football, weirdly, a football documentary about an, a sort of a South Pacific island that sent their football team to the World Cup and they lost by some crazy number. Um, and one of their players lives in the body of a man but behaves off pitch, li- lives pretty much like a woman. And in mm. that culture, that is completely accepted that some people Mm. whilst physically and you know appear to be men are in fact it's quite normal for them to live as women so you know that that sort of statement is just a very western culture white male it's not a no it's ignorant it's just ignorance it's It's like this willfully ignorant you're you're right It's like, well, it's, it's, it just goes back to what we said last week about defending your ignorance instead of trying to yeah. kind of ac- accept the data of yeah, the world yeah, yeah, that is coming to you and just kind of tr- make sense of that. It's like, no, I'm just going to ignore all that yeah, data yeah. because it doesn't fit with my preconceived ideas. I want to be right instead of I want to be learning. And I think I think that's probably one of the biggest differences for that sort of right-wing conservative, I'm right now and everything is solid, rather than being like, well, I don't know. As far as I know to date, this is true, but the stuff I don't know, anyway. It's very So, yes, that would be very disappointing. If one of my heroes did something like that, then... No. This happened earlier this year with uh, Mr Bishy, who's this sort of dubstep or, like, music, electronic music person that a lot of people in my kind of electronic producer world are quite aware of, and he's, he's, he's reasonably, you know... 
he's in the sort of tens of thousands of Facebook likes kind of tier of popularity. But he, he sort of tweeted, um, I'm a Londoner and I'd be thrilled to have the US president visit this city. Sadiq Khan isn't a real Londoner and then sort of went on to talk about how oh he was like God. a Muslim and not an, not England is not an Islamic theocracy. Khan is not an Englishman. It's but, sad when someone, and I really liked one of his tracks and it's like, oh, okay, damn, you're racist. So, but that's the problem with this, this, this trend. It's divisive and now like artists that I like, I'm having to kind of take a stand because everyone's kind of, you know, we're dividing people up again instead of finding ways that we can yeah. live together. It's a bit of a, a easily interesting philosophical question of whether you mm. can separate the art from the artist. You know, I'm not sure you can. I don't. I, Robert Lewis, our mutual former therapist, doesn't think you can. <laughs> oh, well, then, then, it's, then, then that must be true. <laughs> he said, if people love the music you make, they love you. Ah. So you are loved. Well, there's this thing that I skated across but didn't read properly because I didn't want to. <laughs> it wasn't John Lennon, a uh, sort of a wife beater type. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I can't. I don't want to know. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm not ready yet for this fact. Well, the problem with that is you can't really have a you can't really talk them round now. No, you no. probably have talked. You know, it's like okay, well, that person has now got that label permanently, and they're never going to get better. <laughs> what are you do? Luckily, though, <laughs> now we have the blockchain to talk about. <laughs> Which... Well, that was a very natural segue, Ivanka. <laughs> Congratulations from John Lennon. What do you think John Lennon would make of the blockchain <laughs> if he were alive today? Well. Would he be like one of these tech investor artists? Now? Would he be one of these like, oh, I'm just speculating on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> just speculating on Ethereum at the moment. That was, that that was nearly good, accent? wasn't it? That was nearly good. That was, that was nearly, nearly good. good. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently to practice your Scouse accent, you need to say Moroccan chicken. <laughs> Moroccan chicken. Oh, I forgot about that. That's fun. Anyway. I'm not sure about this blockchain. <laughs> People have this idea that the blockchain is something that lives independently of cryptocurrencies. And in practical terms, it just can't. Um, so when you talk about the blockchain, you have to talk about Bitcoin, you have to talk about some of the, 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 um, the cryptocurrencies that have followed it. The reason for this is when you have a distributed ledger, when you have loads of different people having different copies of this thing, and some people wanting to say that you know, their version of the transactions that benefited them kind of are more true than your version of the transactions that might benefit you. You need some sort of system in place to kind of ensure the integrity of that data. And you need some way of competing to say who has got the true record of what's just happened. So people go out, they say they want to spend some money and then that gets, that gets mined onto the blockchain. What this means is, the thing that ensures the integrity of the data on the blockchain, the thing that makes it trustworthy, 
is the way that it resolves disputes. And the way that it does that is by rewarding people financially for doing the right thing and being honest. So the rewards of trying to hack the blockchain in your favor are so much less than the rewards for mining coins and and kind of working with the grain of, of what's happening. So it can't really work unless there's that financial incentive to, to, to kind of be honest. Okay, I've got some questions. Yes, yes. Right. There are a couple of things that make it quite hard to understand descriptions of the blockchain. Yeah. First of all, is it the blockchain? No, it's a, there are different blockchains. So everyone's always yeah. talking about the blockchain. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's like, I imagine it's like that stranger things, the upside down. So, so, so in my, you know, the way everyone talks about the blockchain, it's like the demogorgon touching everything <laughs> in the upside down and sort of like you, and so that, okay, so there are multiple blockchains. So the blockchain, so the Bitcoin blockchain is a chain of blocks and a block is a set of transactions that have been accepted as the true set of transactions that time. So every 10 minutes, a new block is mined. Lots of people will try and mine it at the same time. The one who puts the most work in, so Bitcoin is a proof of work system. So the person who has spent the most CPU cycles gets to say, okay, this is the block of transactions that is correct. And it's the next one on this chain of blocks. Okay. Let's imagine that I followed all of that. There's a key verb. No, that's fine. There's a key verb that doesn't make any sense. I can't picture it. I don't understand it. Mining the blockchain. All right. So to mine the blockchain. So the the way. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a weird. It's a weird idea. It's a weird idea. So this is the right. You say, okay, here are the transactions I'm going to mine. Right. So I'm going to say I'm going to pick these transactions, the ones that are going to make me the most money because there's a mining fee for every transaction. So you say I'm going to take all these ones, put them on this block. In order to put them on the block, I have to prove that I've done a certain amount of work. Um, to prove that I've done a certain amount of work, the blockchain basically sa- the system basically says, okay, I'm thinking of a number t- between one and 37 trillion. What number am I thinking of? And the mining process is, is it one? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? Is it five? Is it six? Is it, you know, and it just has to churn through. And, it, and there's concepts as hashing, hashes and sort of cryptographic stuff going on. But really, it's just like, I'm thinking of a number. Can you guess it? And um, whoever put in the most effort to guess that number. So if someone was lucky and guessed it after three guesses, that would be fine. But then if someone else guessed it after like 100,000 guesses, then their answer would be the one that would replace the one that was guessed after three guesses. Um, but mining is simply churning through like a a list of numbers until you kind of happen upon the right one. There's nothing happening other than proving that you have used a certain amount of CPU power. And why do I, why am I guessing the number? Um, Because if you get it, you get all of the transaction fees. So you get all the money that people have said that they'll give you if you accept their transaction and you get a bitcoin or a fraction of a bitcoin so you can get thousands of pounds for mining a block but and and what is this i still don't that so you mint a new bitcoin every single time you mine a new block so there's 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 two things you get the transaction fees and you get the big pile of money now and what's the block (laughs) so the block is just the list of transactions for this 10 minutes so So every 10 minutes yeah it's the yeah it's like the row in the ledger which kind of consists of all these transactions so how does this 
<laughs> okay, but how does this? How am I proving? I still, I really don't get it. <laughs> it's like how? So, if this ledger is a yeah. is a record of transactions. So I walked into this shop and I spent this amount yeah. of money and then that shop and spent that amount of money and then that one, that one, that one. Well, they say, I'm, I'm okay, I'm spending this much money. I'm, I'm moving this I'm moving this amount of money from this address to this address. Yeah. Um, and then, and I will, I'm willing to pay X amount transaction fee, usually quite low. So now we wait 10 minutes. We hope a miner picks it up into their batch of transactions. If they do... And they've done, you know, lots of work. Then that gets added into the blockchain. And now, and it takes a couple of confirmations. So it'll be like 20 minutes before you're like, okay, two lots of people agreed that that was what happened. So, so, so we're pretty sure it did happen. Now. is simply a payment for data validation. I, th- I guess you could call it validating. Yeah. If there's any like super Bitcoin experts listening, like... <laughs> I'm aware that I'm I'm still like probably not perfect on this, but yeah, I'm but trying to kind of keep it as simple as possible. You've got to build me up from a position yeah. of extremely abstract knowledge, because the the other thing that's confusing me is the fact that I've understood that the point of this is that different there are different copies of the ledger. If it was shopping lists, I've given five different people a shopping list. It's like if you got let, let's all add bread to our shopping list. Is that, you know, like who added bread? Is we, have we all got bread? Yeah, anyone. And so basically the person that's doing the most work going, have you got bread yet? Have you, have you, have you, have you, have you, have you, have you? That's the person that's going to get the Bitcoin because they put the most work in rather than only asking two out of five, go, yeah, yeah, everyone's no, got bread. No, no, no. It's really, it's literally like how much CPU have you churned on the, on the transactions you've collected? So, but that's what I, that's kind so of what I said, you know, like if if the CPU in this in my analogy, no, but the work is, a is arbitrary. But the work is just arbitrary. It's nothing to do with the content of the transactions. It's just literally guess this random number. I don't. Well, so, but what's the point of guessing the random number? What what do you um, get? Like, so, what does the system get from knowing so, a random number and having it guessed? <laughs> I, you know, right. I don't understand the value of, of a, th- a system where someone goes, guess a number, and someone else has to guess it. So currently there's about 10,000 full nodes on the Bitcoin network. So there's about 10,000 different computers with a co- full copy of the database. You could be another one if you just went, like, brew install Bitcoin. At, like, uh, you know, I can set up a full node quite easily. But currently there's about 10,000 nodes on the network. Now, if anyone on that network could just say... Okay, well, here's here's the transactions for this block. And then someone else is like, okay, well, no, I think these are the transactions for this block. Okay, well, I think these are the transactions for this block. You've got to kind of have a way to say, okay, well, who, which one are we going to go with for this next block? Which ones are we going to um, accept? And the way they've done this, the thing that was invented to do this was say, okay, it's called proof of work. Whoever's done the most work to reach their conclusion Wins. So they give you a random job block. to do. Yeah, yeah. Just to say, if you're willing to put in this amount of effort, then you must be right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it makes it very hard to hack because you, who, if if you did, if because if you didn't have that, mm. then anyone could just go, okay, well, I've just uh, given myself a million yeah, pounds. Yeah, Here yeah, are the transactions. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, like, this is the next one. So you have to have a way of like I selecting the see. winner. So that I and that will. 
right. propagate throughout the network. So you could end up with some conflicts at a certain point, but over two or three trans over two or three um, confirmations, to, like half an hour, then that will kind of come together. And it's ten minutes because that's they they change that they adjust the difficulty of the problem to how many nodes that are on the network and how many computers are working on it. So if there are only five computers thinking about it, then they'd reduce the difficulty to a level that one of them would solve it in about 10 minutes. I see. So it it literally is, now, who's right? And the person who says me, 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 the most, who can be bothered to say it for 10 minutes, yeah, is the, clearly, you've put in so much work, you must be right. Yeah, and then we'll take yours. We'll take, we'll take yours. your answer. <laughs> and, like, because there is this random chance thing to it, like, yeah. it's... And, and really, like, if you were a so, and so you could make so one Bitcoin is about sort of like five, six thousand pounds at the moment. Um, but you have, I think it was like if you did it, if like on one computer, you might get one every two years. Um, right. So the way, so when we talk about miners now, it's actually more like mining pools. So a lot of people go, okay, well, we'll all work together on this block and then hopefully like we'll be another mining pool. So it's not generally just one individual getting all the Bitcoins anymore. It's like, so, you know, a lottery, lottery syndicate sort of okay. thing. So in Bitcoin world, there's two ways of making money. Yeah. One is to simply buy Bitcoin with well, your money yeah. that is of a different currency and sit and wait, see if it goes up or down, buy it, sell yeah. it. And the second way is to become a Bitcoin miner. That's the that's the game. The difference between mining for gold mm. and mining for Bitcoin is actually not that dissimilar <laughs> because in a sort of, you know, gold pan mining for gold world, you just had to do hours and hours and hours of work i suppose mm. in a weird way in the bitcoin mining world there's is there a higher probability of you finding a few nuggets at least i well it's, it's entirely set by the it's entirely proportional to how many other people are mm. doing it so it's not like a it's not like a physically fixed resource it's no. a it's a difficulty that scales to the number of pe other people trying to do it right so if there's loads of you going so obviously it's not going me, 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 me. It's going one, two, three, four, you know, guessing the random yeah. number yeah, yeah, yeah. where each guess is a CPU cycle. If there's yeah. loads of you, then you're probably going to guess the random number quite quickly. So the Bitcoin that you mine will be a smaller fraction of a Bitcoin yeah. than if there were five of you, then, and you, you know, you've got it. Okay. All right. Yeah. And it's interesting how, like... Um, they even did this on Silicon Valley, but like at some points, like the value of Bitcoin can sort of drop below a threshold where the electricity cost isn't worth the mining anymore. Oh. So it's sort of like, oh God, quickly turn it off. I think there's a market for um, like space heaters that mine Bitcoins that you use in the winter. Turn it on, it generates heat by churning through Bitcoin uh, <laughs> mining calculations and maybe makes you a bit of cash. Yeah, we could do it. That sounds good. <laughs> The point of that process is to prevent the double spending problem, which is I've got this money to spend. I spend it in one place and then I quickly spend it in another place before it's been verified. And like, how do you stop that happening? But basically one transaction's outputs can only go on to one way. So after a couple of 
after a little while, one of those spends will win and you won't be able to like spend the same money twice. Which then is the, the whole point is to take away that sort of central authority that decides. So, so now I'm even, I'm slightly less au fait with what the big deal is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's really, it's, it's really good for cryptocurrency. Yeah. And so some other applications of this that, so Bitcoin has been around a while and they, they've, they've been sort of had one big hack and uh, which they had to recover from by making everyone kind of change the rules a little bit to kind of get rid of the, uh, the, ha- the hackers' transactions. But the next sorts of things that people co- talk about are contracts on the blockchain. Yeah. So the last project I worked on, we, asked, we were selling, exchanging Bitcoins for equity in companies. And so sort of creating contracts on the blockchain that transparently exist for everyone to see. Here's, a, here's, here's my agreement that in exchange for this money that I gave you on this date, I now own this percent of your company. But it's not really built into how, So it was a bit of a hack to kind of make that work or it's sort of like it's not really built into the code of how the Bitcoin network works. Whereas Ethereum is like they've added more features to it basically so you can create these contracts on the blockchain which and sort of tokens so i don't know if you've so icos um which stands for initial so icos initial coin offerings have been very popular and a lot of companies have funded themselves off the back of these last year i think it's becoming more difficult now um is where you basically say okay we're creating this new kind of coin if you get in early you can buy these cheap now, everyone, and then they'll probably go up in value. And So you create a, re- a scarce resource and you sell those to people and you can sort of raise real money by doing that. But, that, uh, but that's generally sort of done on, the, on slightly newer blockchains that support being able to do those kinds of arbitrary tokens. And Yeah, but, the, yeah, but that's like, you know, pogs. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's exactly like that. It's like very expensive pogs. <laughs> it's like here's the random thing we invented. Let's yeah. make them really rare. Yeah, no. <laughs> it sounds like I did watch as part of my research the John Oliver episode on yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. Watching that episode, I felt like I understood it, but I didn't understand it enough for sure. But yeah, now no, like, I thought John Oliver's one was okay, but I kind of feel like. It was necessarily. Yeah. Uh, well, I learned some interesting yeah, stuff yeah. from it, but it was more the sort of remarkable press stuff that yes, he focused yes, yes. on. And, was... Whereas I've kind of been a bit more involved in how the technology works, like just trying to get my head around yeah, it, yeah, really. Yeah, because because there's um, um. But one of the words that did come out of his thing was responsibility, which I think mm-hmm. uh, somebody I know is involved in one of these Bitcoin. I can't see it as anything other than a pyramid scheme or a ponzi scheme i just don't understand how it's more than that and i was i i you know i trust and like the person so Mm. i was talking to them but i was like i just can't i'm not satisfied that this isn't you know (laughs) john oliver showed that companies just transparently saying we're doing these pump and dump yeah, things yeah, yeah. and just like, like we're going to inflate the value of this for a few hours and then you're just going to get out and get a load of money yeah. from that and it's and it's yeah it's a dangerous world and and actually for you know last year it was like everyone was just jumping on anything to do with blockchain yeah, yeah, to yeah. do with bit to do with cryptocurrency and now that there are a few more there's someone you can ask now whereas there kind of wasn't before and i think so people are not quite jumping on it quite as blindly as they were before but, you know, I was talking to someone that does a lot of this, kind of does these sort of ICOs for people. And, like, you know, he, he 
their company gets, you know, they get like death threats. You know, they get all this. It's people have kind of put their lives into, they put all their money into something and it's gone. Or they had millions of pounds for a minute and then they lost the private keys so they couldn't get the money. Yeah. Like there's all these things that can happen if you, it's dangerous because you do have to have those, con a lot of very quite difficult concepts in your head in order not to get, not to make a stupid mistake. So, for example, like, I mean, we talk about Bitcoin wallets, like uh, cryptocurrency wallets. There's no, there isn't really such a thing as a cryptocurrency wallet. It's that sort of like a usability shim yeah. on top of what's actually happening, which is just transactions going from one address to another address. And you prove that you can spend the output of that transaction by providing the private key for that public address, which you have to keep safe. So the big hack, there was this big hack a few years back. Uh, let me just get the year right. There's a really good page, um, History of Bitcoin, which you can sort of, it kind of gives you the the uh, the big sort of events that happened and, and you know, and how the, the value changed over time. But the, um, yeah, so in 2011, Mt. Gox got hacked, which was like one of the main, the main exchange, really, I think, which is if you wanted to buy Bitcoin, you would use this, website this exchange but for whatever stupid reason they were storing people's private keys on their servers if you've got the private key you've got everyone's money so they had everyone's essentially had everyone's money do, do, sorry, in a centralized yeah. way sorry gone one of the things about this private key because i did have this noted mm. to myself as a thing where so a private key will be attached to a specific device how can you keep well, a your private a private key is literally, well, now there's this thing called BIP39. But now private keys are basically a 12-word mnemonic that you write down. So it's 12 words, and you can write that down on a bit of paper. Right. And then that lets you get access to okay, that so wallet again. Okay, so it's a bit, more, uh, bit less software-y. Yeah, maybe so before it was just, it was a random string of like 40 random characters. Oh, okay. And now they've kind of like improved it a bit so that you can, you know, write down these 12 words and lock it in a drawer. And I literally oh. have a drawer down there locked oh. with, you know, my private key. And you key address it, it. no. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's like a hundred quid on it. It's, it's not... It's not worth nicking. Um, so the difference between, between being... Because I suppose if you're going into this, I suppose to be a Bitcoin miner, I guess that you have to have an element of computer knowledge. That would allow yeah, you and to you do just that. have to be prepared to have a computer yeah. running day and night with the fan going <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> that aside, a person yeah. who might go mining for Bitcoin, one can assume is vaguely technically savvy. Yeah, technically. Because they've yeah, technically. bothered to install something and set something yeah, up. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Now, if you're simply speculating in the market, you your mental models may be much more associated with normal financial exactly. transactions. So therefore, the idea of looking after a private key and that yeah, being critical, like if your mental model is a security box in a vault in a bank, you'd say, well, if I did lose the key, we can drill into it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in this world, if you lose the key, you've lost the key, the key has gone. gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Mt. Gox, they basically, um, because they were storing everyone's private keys, yeah. i.e. they had everyone's money, yeah. um, even though, you know, you logged into the website and you could transfer it from the website and, you know, they kind of, it, it was easier to make a website. This? It's just easier, it's, you know, it's like easier to not salt par hash passwords, right? They just didn't, yeah. you know, they were technical, but they just took some shortcuts. And, and I, you know, it's really hard to, because... Otherwise, you've got to explain to people <laughs> all this stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And it's I get like, 
but yeah, so but what what that created was a massive honeypot, like which was then you know they just Too got tempting. in and got the private keys, got the database, and yeah. were just able to kind of spend take all that money very easily. Because oh there, there are these words that have been littered through Bitcoin and blockchain and all these things that make perhaps make you think you know what you're getting engaged with. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, like to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. To well, say try and kind of come up with these. The problem with the analogies, the sort of, I mean, it took me a while. I was working, I'd built a Bitcoin wallet interface and I'd been working on it for sort of three or three months before I really, I was like, oh, wait, no, the wallet, this is like anyone can look in anyone else's wallet, for example. So it sort of breaks the mental model. You kind of have to go, oh, actually, all if I know the address, I can see all the transactions that have gone to that address. So like anyone can look in your wallet. Anyone can know how much, if they, if they know your address, they can associate that with you. So a wallet isn't private per se, but the ability to move, to make transactions from that wallet is the bit that needs the private key. Yeah. So that's kind of a weird mental mo model to get your head around. It's like, okay, I thought this was just a thing in my pocket, but no, it's actually a thing that's on there that anyone could potentially look at. But because I have this thing, in this, the key to it, I can kind of unlock it and take the money out of it. But this is true of any thing, not just any technology, is that, you know, you, your, your depth of understanding only needs to be as deep as is useful. Yeah. The, prob the part of the, so for example, I don't really need to know what a CPU does in a computer in order to be highly productive on my computer. But yeah. uh, at the same time, when you have a new technology come out like Bitcoin and like yeah. what happened with Mt. Gox, there's, a, there's two things. One, people's lack of understanding exposed them to risk. But then mm. if, the, if the makers themselves didn't see the risk of store hadn't yet identified the risk of storing a private key as as seeing that as a vulnerability then what chance to somebody who's simply engaging with it until the first time something gets robbed you don't know that there's a risk you know like you may yeah. not perceive it as a risk i mean one of the it's just hard to get your head around how you do it right well yeah and i think i think there's also this thing that if you are in so i i worked in a place where the politics was such that I I got blindsided massively a couple of times because my brain doesn't behave like theirs did. So I couldn't play through the scenario where I would do that. So therefore, yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine somebody doing that. Therefore, I didn't protect myself from it. So, yeah. so it's that same thing where if you're making a thing and you're really interested in it, you may not see the risks of somebody doing the sort of the negative of you and mm -hmm. kind of exploring. So I, I don't think that's unusual, you know, I don't like... Yeah. But one of the examples that is a bit of my go-to for how technology, you know, like security and technology and things has to keep evolving was like somebody I know hacked into Harvard University mm. a number of years ago, like 20 odd yeah. years ago, one of the first people to, to get done for such a thing in, uh, in Sussex. And the reason was that the, the, the way they did it, which is really quite straightforward in retrospect, is that the, the server stored all the miskeyed passwords... So it's like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's so easy. So working on a Bitcoin project has been quite terrifying. It's like, oh, I've been just logging out these 
private keys for a while because I hadn't really internalised that that was the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so I could have easily just, you know, they could have just ended up on some logging, third-party logging server, you know, you plug in these things to kind of track how it's being used and, and like, that could have easily just been being uploaded. Like, so, you know, I could have just looked on there and was like, oh, I've got everyone's money, you know, it's and kind of realising that you have to get into habits about kind of protecting people's data like that. So the way Mt. Gox got hacked was that it was being audited and that auditor's laptop... They kind of got hold of that to then kind of gain access. But when you think about it, like it's much more of a problem on the blockchain because it's just utterly unforgiving. There's no undo. There's no rolling back. Um, which so you might set up your Bitcoin exchange, which Mt. Gox did. They set up this exchange and they're kind of thinking like a credit card company or a bank, where if they did suffer, if a bank suffers a massive hack and it's obviously a hack, they can just like correct the database and say, no, that money wasn't that money. Yeah. This is the money. All right. The blockchain isn't like that. You can't reverse it. That the, One of the whole things about it, one of the things that's powerful about it is that you can't have some big, you can't, because it's decentralized, yeah, yeah. You, can't, no you can't roll it back. There's no central authority. There's no one in control of the database. Yeah. So if you're kind of thinking like a bank and then you get hacked and you, I guess you didn't really think about, if this does get hacked, we can't come back. You, yeah. you just haven't had that thought yet. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, there's actually no way to recover from this because it's de- a decentralised cryptocurrency that kind of runs on this blockchain that exists so in a distributed way. So the decentralised, not controlled by anybody, is also one of the things that people see as the strength. Well, it's, it's, it's a huge strength. I mean, you know, the, the, the point of it is that it's a decentralised currency that doesn't require sort of central authorities. But one of the criticisms of it is that, I mean, those centralised authorities do provide you with some protection. Yeah. Right. And if you thought that Mt. Gox was your bank and in the same way that I was talking about before with with the death threats, if you were kind of thinking of this kind of person that helped you buy a load of bitcoins as your bank that is like looking after you and then you discover that there is nothing they can do when you made that mistake... That's very different to a credit card company, yeah. which can you do fraud protection and like refund yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, and if yeah, someone yeah, steals yeah. it, like you don't get any of the protection that those centralized so, authorities so give you. Everything about Bitcoin smashes your existing mental models. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> everything yeah, to do yeah. with money, <laughs> yeah. particularly. It doesn't, it's not attached to a country. It's not, therefore, not to a police force, therefore, not to a fraud protection, therefore, not to a bank, therefore, not to a nothing. And yeah, it's the, entirely that, and 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 you you are going to come into problems if you if you sort of went oh well the, the police you know if if you go right I've created these, this contract between me and this other person yeah. it's on the blockchain look everyone it's on the blockchain if the police if you kind of go this person's not agreeing to this agreement and you show the police if they're not like oh well we don't know what that means and that's not a thing yeah. no one's going to enforce it or you go to law if you go to the court. And say, so you'd have to take it to court, you'd have to educate the jury. I mean, and I think in future this will become easier and there will be specialists in the same way that lawyers are sort of specialists in untangling the laws. Um, you probably need these blockchain people. I don't know, unless everyone learns about it. But um, the traditional authorities have to recognise that that is something real and sort of understand it to yeah, some extent. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. So to protect you. Yes, 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 yes.
quite an interesting experiment. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it'll... Because it's things like... It did make me think a bit about open source software and the fact Mm. that, again, you've got this idea that, you know, many eyes ensure better quality, ensure that, you know, there's there's a better awareness of security, breaches, la, 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 weaknesses. And it works, as we've learned, it sort of works at a certain tier of software development, but maybe not... Maybe not all the way through. But anyway, so, but but philosophically, it's an ideology as well. You know, you could present equally strong arguments for either side, really. Well, yeah, it's tricky. But yeah, because there's a reason people have proprietary closed source software is because they feel like if someone else got hold of their code, they'd be able to sell that software themselves. And then open source says, oh, well, actually, transparency brings a lot of benefits, but also... I, my feeling is that, A, it's about more than just the code. Yeah. So my apps are like open source, but I also know, I mean, who's going to bother like building it, changing all the certificates, um, kind of rebranding it, yeah. turning it into something that they can sell themselves. I mean, at that point, it's like, well, you might as well. I mean, it's kind of diminishing returns really to actually sell it. Whereas, so for me, it's like it's almost if someone did start contributing to one of my apps, it would be almost entirely beneficial to me. And then, I, you know, hats off to them if they've kind of contributed to it. you welcome to sell it but a lot of the way it works in open source is you sort of sell services on top of that because you're kind of going oh well this is something that's open and a lot of very clever people are working on but also you you might want to learn about it or you might need training or you might need support in kind of getting the hang of it which we can provide separately from the actual code and selling a project and we can sell you know do that for a lot of money so so i think there's sort of there's some of these ideologies of open source and proprietary software there's there's some of that thinking so from technical point of views there's arguments but then we've got this new bitcoin thing which is a sort of in some ways, kind of taps into the same sort of ideologies of not controlled by a single person or entity, mm. um, not one person is benefiting, many people can benefit. Yep. The barriers to entry are to do with expertise, not position, um, but that comes with risks. Comes with risks, but it's, it's, it's another, um, it's something about the modern world is as new technologies and sort of environments emerge so for me the internet was an enormous leveling force it's like suddenly the thing about the internet is there's no one guarding the gate you just need a computer which is a pretty low barrier to entry for if you're willing to put the time in and learn it you can learn how to do this and probably better than people with you know with much more resources a lot of the time so you kind of create this ecosystem of now, there's websites and there's competition within that. And the winners are different to the winners of the traditional systems, right? So you get Mark Zuckerberg coming out of nowhere, right, as, a, as one of the wealthy people, whereas before that would have been unimaginable because you had to kind of be from, uh, you have a wealthy family and been in a position to kind of do financial stuff. Then blockchain, you know, Bitcoin comes in and suddenly there's this other kind of, and maybe there's crossover with the expertise to do with being able to make a website and program stuff, but this sort of technocracy kind of thing coming through, letting, it's almost like we're creating more and more different types of environments that will have these kind of huge winners and losers within sort of new ecosystems and we keep spawning new ecosystems now at sort of a pace does that am I, and like yeah, the app yeah. store even you know it just comes in suddenly you're getting people are getting very rich from you know weird stuff i think and- i think I, I will put a side note 
just for later discussion, yeah. sort of like some of the fairness is creeping out with oh, yes. the algorithms of what gets prioritised, what gets shown. And Google has far too much power over people's access to the internet. Oh, no, 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 no I, I didn't say it was... I said, well, I mean, back then it was a yeah, lot fairer. Yeah, definitely. But it was, I, I saw it as fair, but it's not really... It's just a different playing field. Yeah. And now you've got Google and you've got Facebook kind of almost got, got, sort of controlling, kind of, centralising access are, to are, everything they again. They're, they're, they're controlling what you see, when you see it and how you see it. And, you know, Google's coming up with things like AMP <clears throat> and all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah. But let's part that. I just wanted to side note that doesn't have to make it into yeah. the episode but at all. Well, no, no, I, I think it's interesting because in the same way as you get these, you know, geographic proximity creates, you know, creates states. Yeah. Um, the internet creates these kind of tech giants and like cryptocurrency is creating these like random super rich people in some little town in the middle of nowhere who sort of just kind of happen to get lucky even. That's shaking things up. Yes, yeah, and I uh, and I think it. So, so you use the word transparency a few times, mm. and I think so. One of the talks that I saw emphasised the the thing about transparency being one of the strengths or one of the things where there was potential for more interesting things than simply Bitcoin to come out. So an example that he gave was of an architect in the 30s. I think a problem in the 30s where lots of banks were getting robbed and he came up with the idea of glass buildings because then you know, one of the things that a bank robber walking in or a group of bank robbers with guns walking into a bank is that nobody from the outside can see what's going on and then they've got a couple yeah. of minutes to rob the bank before they yeah. scarper. And the idea is like creating a glass bank uh, means that anyone walking by can see what they're doing and call the police and intervene. Yeah. And, uh, and he used an example of a, I think it was a police force in Georgia or Kazakhstan, one of those ex-Soviet states, where they're trying to nail corruption so they've got now a glass police station right so the idea is that you can see who's meeting with whom blah, 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 blah. so the, the toilet's I transparent i love that the example is actual transparent materials <laughs> well, and yeah, it's a brilliant so it's example but uh, yeah obviously yeah like transparency is great up until the point that require that privacy is something that people you know so, are, but have a right to what he talked about was that he talked about translucency was then what he expanded it to okay. is that we can see that the transactions like are correct so we know who's gone into the toilet yeah. <laughs> and we know that the toilet was used but we haven't watched somebody on the toilet and we right. don't know yeah, exactly yeah. what they Trans did so it's translucency like frosted, is frosted glass <laughs> we of. can see that the transactions are correct but not what they are Right. He thought, and one of the things he was talking about was that is a potential new area for exploration. So in that world of your contracts, you know, Ethereum type, mm. well, I'm going to use Ethereum now to sound clever and shortcut to contracts. <laughs> Do it. And it's working. <laughs> I'm going to say, in your <laughs> Ethereum example, the idea is that maybe I can have a very private contract where nobody knows what we're uh, we're working on, but everybody can see that I have in fact done the items of work that are required, or whatever. I, you know, like mm. everyone can see that I have kept my side of the bargain. And he then used this phrase, which was <laughs> ambient accountability. So okay. it's just you know, it's there in space that you are doing what you said you were doing without anyone know what you're actually doing. <laughs> mm. So I don't know. I mean, I I, I thought. 
when I watched this talk, I felt very like, oh, this surely there are some great ideas, but I've not walked away with it and had any ideas or gone, oh, right, where yeah. we should apply this would be in blur. Well, it, you know, it's kind and of... it also implies some sort of technical stuff that would be tricky to do. My new invention is crypto bartering. So that's the future. You exchange, you bar, I don't know what that is yet. I just feel like I'm going to see it in a news article in a year's time with some sort of flimsy attempt to say that it's a thing. So I look forward to that. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. I invented it and I stake claim on whatever you end up deciding that it is. Michael Forrest, um, technology crystal ball. <laughs> indeed. So one of the things with with like Bitcoin blockchain stuff is there are ever developing ways of people being able to keep who the owner of the wallet is private, like secret. Right. So something now, now the secure way of accepting money isn't to publish your Bitcoin address. It's to have a, a seed that creates a new address every time you want to receive money and which then you can't really associate those because it's like this one way thing. So there's all sorts of ways in which it's possible to, you know, keep very secret who you are as kind of authorities kind of improve their techniques of going, OK, well, this address seems to have done a lot of very big transactions. Let's focus on figuring out who it is. Now it, you'd have to sort of like reconcile thousands of different wallet addresses, which you just couldn't really do. And then because you can't associate them back to the owner. In so that way, so have, it's transparent, yeah. sort of, but it's also private. There's like more private than anything else possible as well. So, but this has then does this have? Does, is this sort of like a new way of money laundering? Oh no, it's absolutely like, and there was so much panic in this large project about like you, you, it's 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 a perfect way of laundering money. It's a perfect way of selling drugs. It's a perfect you know, yeah. it's a perfect way of selling contraband uh, because. You can't, unless someone volunteers, like that's my wallet address, that's my contract, there's no way to kind of associate it back to them. And that I think is one of my, one of the things that makes me feel a bit uneasy about mm. it is that it has this, it has this libertarian thing about oh, it, yeah. which is like a massive free for all. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm very comfortable with it. Um, yeah, it's scary. It's absolutely the Wild West. Totally. Or- so, you know, I might get myself a, you know, set one of my machines that's not doing anything to mine some Bitcoin. See if I can get myself some little flakes. So one of the problems with Bitcoin is it's quite slow. You can't really buy coffee because you've got to wait 10, 10 minutes. 20 minutes to know whether or not that, that was really happened. So right, so what, something I'm quite interested in seeing how it pans out, although it does seem to have launched already, is this thing called Lightning Network, where you sort of treat the blockchain as more like the court, but you don't have to go to court every single time you buy coffee. And there's ways of creating a chain of transactions that are kind of guaranteed by one big transaction on the other end that then allows you to instantly spend money in a way that hasn't really been possible with Bitcoin before. Because there are Bitcoin and, 
cards now, aren't there? Is that off the Lightning Network? I don't know if that's Lightning, but yeah, there needs to be. St- I haven't seen it, but like I'm looking for that sort of thing. I'm looking for the sh- like Lightning Network in shops because I think that's going to be the next big skyrocketing of Bitcoin value is when Lightning Network comes in and everyone can actually use it day to day. The friend that was trying to get me into the Ponzi scheme <laughs> yeah. um, is, uh, was also explaining to me that now he's got a card and he can go and just spend money and get cash out and blah, blah. There seem to be multiple cards that yeah. you can now use. Don't know any of their names. I was too busy being a doubting Thomas. <laughs> I heard this story about um, someone trying to take down Bitcoin by like encoding child pornography into transactions, into sort of the metadata of transactions, so that it then became illegal to have a copy of the of the blockchain. Right. What's disgusting? Yeah, like, uh, but it looks like it was sort of like links, and it was because there's you can't really put that much data really in a transaction. It's quite it's quite limited. So it's not really enough for a picture or anything particularly. But there was this big whole scare about like, you know, but someone may figure out something that lets them, you know, there's people will uh, looking for clever ways of doing something like that. But you, you just have to think like, oh, OK, and that can't be undone. Right. But then I think something like that, you could probably fork, i.e. everyone could probably say, OK, well, this has happened. So let's just update the software and like throw away that transaction, because I think we can all agree that we don't want this whole thing to go in the toilet. The big worry with Bitcoin, mainly, I mean, Ethereum and Ethereum sort of is faster and some of the new ones are sort of faster, but they still kind of need this proof of work thing. There's this, there's this ecological issue with it, which is you're kind of consuming an awful lot of energy in order to keep the, the integrity of this thing, which sort of feels a bit horrible to have to, I've got to actually like churn through coal reserves in order to kind of keep this, this currency working. But there is light at the end of that tunnel and i'm going to just touch on this because i don't really understand it at all not that i understand any of this um well there's there's this other concept of how you kind of maintain the integrity called proof of stake instead of proof of work yeah which seems to me an r chain seems to be that which is the letter r chain um which seems to me to be a light at the end of that sort of ecological (laughs) tunnel um which works i think instead of um you kind of churn through CPU power, it sort of like randomly picks who gets to say what the the next block is. And there's like an algorithm that says that kind of prevents it going back to the richest people, prevents it going back to the same person again and again. But that there's some innovation happening there to make it instead of proof of I've just churned through CPU cycles, which is, is working, but it's a bit clunky yeah Yeah, that's all i just wanted to kind of add in that it's not necessarily like an ecological catastrophe (laughs) and 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 it's looking interesting and then like things like um our chain for example is interesting that it actually is is turing complete there's there's like you can actually write code in there as part of these contracts that kind of take an input and create an output so it sort of becomes a platform for doing all sorts of things that are, you could sort of do on Bitcoin or Ethereum, but it would be clunkier probably. But we have, I guess in that way, we are still very much at the start of the uh, sort of blockchain journey, even though it's been around, you know, Bitcoin's been around for a few years. There's all sorts of ideas that are possible, I'm sure. I'm not going to lie to you, Michael. Mm. Having 
concentrated quite hard for some time, mm. feeling like I've learned quite a lot about blockchain and Bitcoin and all its little wizards. I don't think I can talk much more <laughs> because I've uh. got like a, you know, like I've been in it, I've been to my lecture, I've been in the seminar, I've participated, <laughs> I've focused, I've thought, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, Michael and Ivanka's tiring podcast. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Anyone that is an expert, I'm sure, will be able to poke a myriad of holes in my explanations. But I mean, that's that. Well, that can be the discussion. We, you know, we just kind of we can refine it in social media. Yes. Should you wish, just don't be mean. If you do want to help us learn more, or indeed if you've learned something from this discussion, then please let us know. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're glad. Thanks for making it all the way through to the end. Because it, you know, is a lot more un- unavoidably more technical than any other episode we've done. But you know, I think hopefully you got something out of it. I think it's a great contrast to the swearing episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. Do write us some reviews, give us some stars on things, share episodes, especially this one. You know, everybody wants to understand what the hell Bitcoin is. Um, and this is this is where you're going to start learning. Yeah, and you can email us hello at grandpodcast.com if you like. Also, you can find me at michaelforestmusic.com. Where can people find you, Ivanka? You can find me at Ivanka on Twitter. Marvellous. That's it, really. And you can go to grandpodcast.com. You can click the great, big, giant, orange subscribe button. And also, this week, you can go to the library. So we've made a thing. I've made a new page on the website where you can all the links that we've mentioned as part of our conversations are all sort of presented nicely with little pictures and you can see what episode they're in and you can click on the links and have a read if something catches your eye and i'm hoping to make that interface a little more sophisticated over time because at the moment it's a random sprawl of just different links but i think that's quite fun as well yeah but i think it's very handsome michael oh thank you thanks for listening everyone thank bye. You. Bye. Bye, bye, bye 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 bye